Tree 4.0 weekly live Q&A. Uh, we're here live every week at Tuesday noon central. Been live doing this all year. Um, I'm here with Mr. Walker Reynolds. I'm your host, Zach Scriven. Walker, how you doing today? I'm blessed, as always. Awesome. Zach, I'm, I'm blessed. How are you doing? I'm doing a lot better. Yeah, yesterday was uh, a pretty good day, and then it sort of took a nosedive at the end, but now I'm feeling much better, so... How is everybody um, in the chat doing? Uh, we're just going to kind of chill for a couple of minutes. I actually have a very interesting presentation, or a uh, very interesting presentation. Um, hey, why do you, wait, why do we have, well, what's the, re we did members only mode. What's the reason we did that again? You yeah. So just to prioritize, um, we have a lot of questions to get to. And so we felt that it was fair to prioritize, you know, people that are paying for questions and answers. Um, it's actually really easy to join. There should be a link below to join. You can okay. join at like $2 a month. So if you are, you know, coming to our live stream every week and you want to ask questions live, that's a way to support the stream and it's a way to support the channel. So we do appreciate that. But we don't have a way for people to just uh, like say hi to the chat or whatever, right? We can't. Hey, oh, Cheryl, how's it going? How's yeah, it going, so there will, be, there will be slightly less engagement, but I do imagine we'll get more members as well. So, um, okay. I hear you, man. I hear you. All right. So before we, I'm just, we're just taking a couple of minutes to kind of, you know, gird up our loins and get warmed up. And, you know, um, before I get into that, that most of this Q and A is actually going to be centered around one LinkedIn post that we saw <laughs> that I, I want to go over. Cause he actually, in, in his posts, he touches on a lot of things that, that come up all the time. So I was saying uh, his his thinking is not uncommon in our industry, so I felt like it was really important to address it. Yes. In fact, guys like or guys or gals like him are this person are part of the problem. You know. Um, how many people here have? Oh, welcome to Dan Riken. Um, ha, how many how many people on the chat have? Um, Brendan Riley, my man. Um, have checked out the adversity and success channel or watched any of the videos on it. I'm interested in see. You have Zach? I have. <laughs> I watched eventually. Um, okay. You win Zach. I'll drink one less Starbucks a month. You know, I don't drink. Let's talk about Starbucks versus Dunkin donuts. Okay. Um, the way my face is frozen on the youtube oh there it goes um i think i could host the restream yeah maybe but, we'll try that next week um look it's, it says i've dropped from the uh let me uh turn my wife off i saw all of them on the a and d a and d channel we have a new channel, A and D. Saw all of them. Yeah, it's um, we're trying to figure out how to get that out to more people because everyone who I talk to, they're saying, "Hey, this is going to be just as valuable, if not more, than my mastermind or my, you know, everything you're doing with Industry 4.0 content." Right? It's developing the self first before you can develop your professional skills. I actually had a a friend I went to high school with. Um, so I'm sharing my screen, but don't, don't share. I, I, I had a friend that I went to, uh, high school with reach out to me. Um, and they said, you know, Hey, I think, I think the stuff on that you're doing on adversity and success is more important than <laughs> the other stuff you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, but you're like an orthopedic surgeon. Like you're not, <laughs> You know, you're not a, you know, like you're not an engineer. So, I mean, I would expect you to say something like that. You know but it, just, it, it felt it felt good that they thought it was valuable because, I mean, it's, you know. It, someone it, you just know. watched the, um, a new subscriber to the channel, watched a couple of our videos, left a couple comments, and then he stumbled across our mastermind, free mastermind foundation webinar yep. that we did a year ago. And he said, like, it's kind of shocking to see, like, a couple of guys and a few thousand people in a small community like change the world. There's something to that effect. 
I yeah, like, let me let me say this. Uh, let me. Oh, I don't know why I stopped sharing. Um. All right, so we actually got a very. I want to say thank you to the to our sponsor this month, Canary Labs. Okay, Canary Labs. Let me say this real quick. Canary Labs. Um, sponsors us because they believe in this community. That's what. That's why they're sponsoring. You know. Um. They're not sponsoring to raise their profile or anything, although I'm sure that's the business case they made. I talk about Canary Labs all the time, and they don't pay us. So, <laughs> like, uh, I Canary Labs is a best-in-class best in historian, right? So they are a, the sponsor for the community for this month, literally because they believe in the community, okay? So, and everyone who has sponsored thus far has expressed that sentiment. But I, I wanted to say this. One of the previous sponsors... One of the previous sponsors, um, I didn't get permission to share which one. So one of the previous sponsors told us this week that their investment in the Industry 4.0 community is the most valuable investment they've ever made for their business, okay? And, and that they have told anyone who will listen how big of a deal it is and how important it is to support this Industry 4.0 community. And they just told us this in, like within the last week. And it was a very, it was an amazing conversation. I mean, I literally, I, I literally got tears in my eyes. Like he was, you know, saying like, what you guys are doing is just so important. And, you know, this community, what the community is doing is it's really, cha it's literally changing the industry. You know, I had a, a conversation with a, you know, one of the largest manufacturers in the world today. You know, they've been a client of ours for some time and I had a conversation with them today and 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 everything they said was centered around you know this the industry 4.0 community is literally changing companies like rockwell it's literally f compelling we're literally compelling these large oems to change the way they do business because this community has coalesced around an idea that you can make money you can be moral and you can serve a higher mission all at the same time as opposed to just chasing the bottom dollar. And and you guys, want, I have a pretty exciting announcement. So I bought a, a Model 3 Tesla. Um, actually, I bought a Model 3 and a Model S. <laughs> so if you go to my Tesla account right now, I've got you know a Model 3 and a Model S waiting on delivery. Um, I was gonna, I changed my order from the Model Y to the Model 3 and went with the Model 3 Performance Edition, you know, glass roof and all that stuff. And I had a chance to go like, the Model 3 is incredible. I mean, if you're going to buy a Tesla, I would say buy the Model 3 because it's, you know, great price and all that stuff. But one of the things that we're going to do is I'm going to take delivery on the Model 3 in like another – we decided – listen, we talk about Tesla all the time, and we talk about how they make products that get better after you buy them. Why don't we shoot content? Why don't we buy a Tesla and shoot content around how the Tesla gets better, right, at, after you buy it? And at the same time, at the same time, why don't we start highlighting how Tesla manufactures? Because this last week in the in the earnings call, in Tesla's earnings call, Elon Musk, he talks and Zach actually shot a video where he, he played a clip of it. But uh, we're going to have we're instead of posting that video, we're going to have the conversation today. Um, Elon Musk talks about Tesla's advantage in the market is how they manufacture. He says, he says all cars will become electric and eventually all cars will become autonomous. autonomous. Yeah, all cars will be electric. All cars will be autonomous. And our advantage in the market, our strategic advantage is our manufacturing. And like, everyone everyone who competes against Tesla should have been terrified by that statement because they should have expected Elon to say, two different statements. Number one, our advantage in the market is that we made it happen first. And number two, brand loyalty, like, you know, Tesla fanboys, right? You would think that he would have mentioned the, the, the loyalty to the Tesla brand. Uh-uh. He dedicated, he dedicated like half the earnings call or at least a third of the earnings call to manufacturing being their competitive advantage in the market, how they manufacture. And he said, no one can compete with us. I, you know, I found something interesting. He compares a manufacturing plant to a rocket equation, which is, is kind of mind-blowing. But from a first principles approach, he talks about it's essentially volume in and the velocity out. Or in other words, is you could think of it like a computer chip. 
someone asked, will each gigafactory get bigger? A bigger gigafactory doesn't mean it's more efficient. And in That's fact, right. it'd actually be less efficient you because get bigger through pro- throughput. Right. So it's the, do you know that a via, uh, uh, the Volkswagen takes 30 hours to make and a Tesla only makes, takes 10 hours. A model three only takes 10 hours to make. Yep. Start to finish. Yep. How can you, comp- you know, how can you compete? I mean, it's just, that's, that's a whole nother world of volley, you know, efficiency, right? He said, uh, cycle time, right? Cycle time. We talk about OEE all the time. Some people are saying, Hey, you know, I don't, I think OE is a garbage number. Well, Elon Musk said cycle time, right? What is cycle time? It's the P and it's the performance number of OEE. It's the, it's the P and AQP, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, all right, let me get to this, this, I want to touch on a couple of things here, uh, real quick. So, um, again, Canary is our sponsor this month. Huge shout out. Uh, remember day after tomorrow. So Thursday and Friday, we are doing the, um, frameworks live virtual training. So we're doing the frameworks event, October 21st, 22nd. Um, day one is going to be immersive training and, and principles and all that stuff. Um, and then day two is integration. Very similar to what we did with PLC next in the mastermind program, except on a, a much bigger scale where it's going to be a combination of PLC next with, with, uh, you know, the ignition unified namespace development. We're going to be doing this with frameworks, Tatsoft, Tatsoft factory studio. We will be integrating with an opto 22 groove Epic. So we'll have the groove Epic. We'll have the PLC next publishing into our unified namespace. And then we'll, we'll have the, the, uh, frameworks acting as our, our UNS. So, um, and you can go to IoT University Frameworks Workshop to do that. I wanted to Jeff Nepper from Canary Labs, uh, the sponsor this month. Jeff, shout out, brother. Uh, he said, I'm watching the Aviva OSI Soft World, and I was curious um, to how much they would keep OSI Soft as its own product and their own install base for the first few years. Simple answer is they won't. Of course, that's yep, exactly. Spot this is on. the this is the playbook. Yeah, leverage the fact that you sell products at one layer of the stack to get you to buy products at other layers right. of the stack. Yeah, Aviva's goal here is it doesn't matter whether it doesn't matter whether Aviva's you know system whether system platform or you know um, you know Wonderware MES or, or any of their their suite of solutions are best for the client in terms of the. The, the, the solution, the problem that the clients are trying to solve. It only matters that you have OSI soft as your historian. And now what we want to do is leverage that to sell you something that is probably not best, best in class. It's pretty hard to make the argument that in touch or system platform are um, best in class at, at the SCADA or, or MES or IoT platform layer. It's not even an IoT platform. So we know it's not a best in class there. I mean, but I mean, like I have friends who work for Wonderware. I have friends who still work. I mean, I, I have one friend that's been with a distributor of Wonderware for 20 years. I mean, I literally cut my teeth with this guy and he even he and he and I are still friends. We still talk, you know, on a personal level. And even he says, yeah, Aviva's got no idea what they're doing. Like they're going going in the wrong damn direction, you know, Um there's a clear takeaway feel that to have iOSI soft is to have Aviva. Whether that's good or bad is for the end user to decide. Uh, I'll go ahead and decide for me. That's <laughs> that's bad. It's 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 bad times a thousand. Okay, um, and you know I reacted with the vomit emoji. Yeah, OSI and Aviva, they should come on. You know, come on the podcast and let's have a chat. Uh, the other thing is Rick, uh, another announcement. Rick Bellotta and I are going to be doing our podcast tomorrow, right, Zach? I believe it's tomorrow. Yeah. And we're are we we're not live are we live streaming it or we're going to film it and then? The idea was to not live stream it. Uh, we're going to do like a meet it- and greet for like ten or fifteen minutes so y'all can get to know each other a little bit. Then we're going to do the podcast. Okay. We were actually thinking about uh, doing a part one and part two, like the industrial automation talk, put that on 4.0 and then sort of his life story and success and how he faced adversity, put that as part yeah. two on ANS to kind of get people to go over there. But that's just my, that's not confirmed yet. <laughs> so, so Rick, Rick and I'll be doing, we were supposed to do the podcast. I think we were supposed to do it yesterday, but I had a, I had a conflict, a, a, an emergency come up. So we're going to shoot it tomorrow. Um, it'll be, I think we're doing 90 minutes. I mean, it'll be a, a long form podcast. Rick's a brilliant dude. He and I have a lot of similarities um, but uh, it'll obviously be fireworks because, you know, um, uh, interesting thing about Rick, he, I did find out what his mission in life is and what his values are. And we're actually really, uh, very quite aligned. 
Um, all right, so let's let's start here. Um, so d- before I get started, does anybody have any questions they want me to answer? All of them. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. All right, so let's go ahead and do this. So this is a LinkedIn post. The reason I'm going to go ahead and respond to this, and the reason why is he didn't post it to us. I think he just posted it in the ether, and we read it. Um, and, um, and the reason why is like the some of the points that he brings up here are just really common. We hear them all the time. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then sort of respond to it in real time, and then we'll get to the other questions. So this guy says, and, and the guy who did this post, um, we we didn't get permission to post it. That's why we blocked him out. But he. He's, uh, he owns an automation company, and he's, he's based in the United States. Um, all right, he says, I see, quote, unquote, industry 4.0 everywhere. All the companies are raving about it. All kinds of folks are training people on it. All the magazines and websites have ads about it. By the way, I'm not saying anything is bad with this before someone starts an argument, okay? But you know where I don't see it? In 90% of the plants that I'm in. Are any of you seeing a massive growth in your bottom line on this stuff? We do some smart data, data tracking and reporting, et cetera. But the bulk of my clients won't touch it. Am I alone here? All this talk of machine learning, artificial intelligence, big data, deep diving, et cetera. And I I just don't see it in the day-to-day operations of literally any of my clients except one massive one. And even they only use the data for analysis by human engineers. Every vendor that comes and sees me is all about MQTT, IIoT, and on and on and on. And every client I speak to wants exactly what we have always done. All right, so here, here's my response. Um, if, you, if you go through our mastermind program, if, you, if you're in mentorship, you guys, there's a slide that I show all the time, which is you know the three keys to digital transformation. Number one, it's a strategy. Okay. Number two, it's about leveraging data and information that organizations have all over the place, but they never rarely use in real time. And number three, you can't help people who don't admit they have a problem. Okay, I've said this over and over and over again. Okay, you know, based on my background in sociology and my study of employment in Western nations, here is an absolute empirical truth. Okay, eleven out of twelve manufacturers in the United States who are active that who were active about twelve to eighteen months ago. That's really where the, everything started. They will either get acquired or go out of business by 2031, 2032. 11 out of 12. 11 out of 12. Okay? What is 11 out of 12? Okay? 11 out of 12 is over 90%. Okay? Listen, here are some things you absolutely have to understand, gang. You have to absolutely understand. How did Tesla do what they did? They did what they were able to do what they did because their competitors kept doing what they had always done, which is exactly what he wrote here. Okay, I mean, none of this should, should surprise you. Yeah, Shanghai is producing more than Fremont now. Yeah, and they did that in less than a year. None of this should surprise you. Okay, what do I say? I say, number three, you have to start with only the people who admit they have a problem. If you're going in and trying to talk about digital transformation, you know, um, the industrial Internet of Things, you know, report by exception, edge driven, lightweight, open architecture technology, you know, um, predicting the future by first collecting data about what's actually happened. If you go to have those conversations with one of the 11 of the 12 companies that are going to get acquired or go out of business, you're talking to the wrong people. Okay, this is an absolute empirical truth. Absolute empirical truth. Okay? The vast majority of manufacturers are not going to make the jump. They won't make the jump. Okay? I mean, I I again, I talked to one of the largest manufacturers on the planet this morning. Okay? And they are literally doing most of the organization is doing everything in their power to make sure that they're not around in 50 years. Like, like seriously, not, you know, the vast majority of the people in that organization are doing everything in their power to make sure that this company doesn't exist 50 years from now. That's the, that maybe that's the 90% of clients or the 90% of plants that this particular person's working in. Correct. He <laughs> the, is the 11 that are not going to be. He's working with the people who don't admit they have a problem. 
okay? Which means that he will be fighting for a smaller and smaller share of the market. As they get acquired, they're not going to get acquired by legacy businesses. They are going to get acquired by businesses who are digital, okay? So let's go back through this. He says, you know where I don't see this stuff? In 90% of the plants I'm in. Are any of you seeing massive growth in your bottom line on this stuff? The answer is absolutely yes. I'm about to show two cases. I'm gonna the customer I talked to this morning, the client that I talked to this morning, who by the way we've been working with for like a year, I I think nine months, twelve months, whatever, and um, they they have a small tiny group of people who are trying to affect change in an organization that has a hundred thousand employees globally, okay, and. They they have this small tiny group of people, and, we, and this morning was all, this morning was all about strategizing. How do they do that? How do they actually get over the hump? And we started talking about case studies, and I and he they were asking me, hey, give me your case study. I got two. I got one case study. This stuff, massive growth on your bottom line with this stuff. Okay. <laughs> one is a two hundred fifty thousand dollar investment. Okay. It took it took twelve months to do the pilot. It only should it should have taken six to nine months, but because they got draconian IT policies, the, the <laughs> customer couldn't get out of their own way. We still were able to get over the hump. They made a two hundred fifty thousand dollar investment that yielded twenty five million dollar return. Their ROI, not my ROI, their ROI, twenty five million in eighteen months. The second case study is a three hundred thousand dollar investment over twelve months that yield a $5 million return in the next 12 months, okay? When they ask me, hey, Walker, what is the what are the returns on your digital transformation pilots if they're done effectively? I said, hell, just the Lighthouse project, you can get 20x, 50x, 100x, okay? We're not talking 1.6 over, you know, that is 1.6, 100, you know, 160% return on, you know, in 18 months. We're talking gargantuan numbers, okay? Elon Musk didn't become the wealthiest man on the fucking planet because Tesla wasn't realizing massive gains on their bottom line by being a digital company. You know, it's kind of, like okay. I was saying, it's kind of ironic that this person posts this on a platform that uses literally data and information to make decisions. You literally uses data and information to make sure that the message that he has to say goes in front of the people who want to read it. Okay? It's like the people that are on a cell phone complaining about technology. It's like, dude. (laughs) Correct. I mean, you you know, you talk, it's, but let me get down here to this this part right here. He said, uh, all of this talk of machine learning, artificial intelligence, big data, deep diving. And I just don't see it in the day-to-day operations of literally any of my clients except one massive one. You have the wrong clients, okay? No more, I'm just putting it out there. You have the wrong clients, okay? And even they only use the data for analysis by human engineers, okay? That is the first step, okay? You, we say this all the time. You have to crawl before you stand. You got to stand before you walk. You got to walk before you run. You got to run before you sprint. Digital transformation is an iterative process, I, I literally wrote a, a white paper for another client, a huge client, you know, the, uh, a, you know, big, huge food and beverage conglomerate. And they're trying to make the decision between do we go with iterative digital transformation, this stuff that this Walker Reynolds guy keeps talking about and everyone keeps forwarding his videos around. Do we go with this or do we just go hire the big OEM, cut them, you know, a 25 to a $50 million check and – come back in 18 months and see if they delivered on their promise. And what I and I wrote this whole white paper saying, listen, you can fucking do that if you want to. But here's something I can guarantee. That's not going to you're not going broke by hiring the big OEM and wasting that 50 mil. But you're going to hire us in 2 years and you're going to do it iteratively, I promise you. So if you want to burn the 50 mil to make yourself feel better, go right ahead. <laughs> I mean, go right ahead. I mean, that's literally what I said. Go ahead and do that. You know what I mean? But remember, you know, you know, uh, who here watches The Office, right? Uh, hopefully you guys all do. One of my favorite lines in The Office is when Dwight Schrute, I think it's on my, the Michael's birthday episode, and they order 
He orders eight one-foot bologna and ketchup subs or something, right? He goes, that's not an eight-foot sub. Well, we don't sell an eight-foot sub. It's eight one-foot subs, and it's all bologna and ketchup. Anyway, the guy says it's whatever, 36, 16, and Dwight sound, you know, counts out exact change and gives it, gives it to the, the delivery guy. And he goes, I don't tip people for things that I can do, right? So I can cut my own hair, therefore I don't tip. You know, I don't. I can deliver my own food, therefore I don't tip. However, I did. T- I did tip my urologist because I can't pulverize my own kidney stones or whatever, right? So <laughs> here, here's the point. What he is saying is, is that I'm not the expert when it comes to pulverizing, you know, kidney stones, right? I'm not the expert. Okay, this guy is working with companies who think they're the expert companies who have never digitally transformed anyone. Never. They've never gone through the process. Literally say they want what they've always done. They 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 have no experience like they have experience manufacturing using existing existing systems. They have no experience transforming an organization. What do you think this person's actually trying to say here? Because I don't really think they're saying a whole lot. I know. I think he's speaking our language. I think what he's saying is, hey, listen, I don't think he's coming out and saying this is a pipe dream. I think what he's doing is complaining about 90% of his customers. Mm. That's what I think. All right. Okay. So let's read, let's read the second part. So he does a follow-up post and he says to follow up on my industry 4.0 post from last night. It just dawned on me why I have such skepticism skepticism of it. It is Six Sigma all over again. No, it is not. Okay? Let me say this. Digital transformation. There's a, We actually have a slide. Digital transformation, which gets you to in, 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 as an industry 4.0 manufacturer, you have to go to go from his, his customers to a digital company. You have to digitally transform. It's a new yeah. technology S-curve. Right. Right. It's a new technology S-curve. There's a lighthouse in the middle. If you look at Kaikaku, right? So you got Kaizen, continuous improvement, and then you got lighthouse, and then Kaizen, continuous improvement. That is not, digital transformation is not lean. It's not continuous improvement. Digital transformation is groundbreaking innovation. Mm-hmm. Tesla did not continuously improve the existing um, manufacturing processes of the current automotive market you can't get from 30 hours to 10 hours just by continuously improving you, you got that's it's incremental improvement with little 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 tiny returns you might be able to get that's to what 20, six sigma 20 hours you know it is groundbreaking innovation here is what industry 4.0 is all about folks here is the money quote all right here's the money quote industry 4.0 is all about transitioning a manufacturer from the way they are to the way they would be if they built their plant from the ground up starting today. What I say to our customers all the time is this. Stop thinking about what you already do. What I want to do is start with a thought experiment. Clean, wipe down the whiteboard, and what I want you to do is build the perfect plant on that whiteboard right now. What, is the, what, what would the CSR experience be like? What, what information would be available to your customer service representatives and your business development people? What would your planner see? What would they have visibility to? Okay. How would their job work? Build the perfect plant from the ground up. Then we chart a path from where you are to there through incremental steps that all have high value returns, five to 100 X ROI. And you fund that transformation through those incremental returns. Okay? It's this, this guy's wrong. This is not Six Sigma all over again. Digital transformation, Industry 4.0, is not continuous improvement. Get it out of your head. It is groundbreaking innovation. Remember all the classes, all the belts? It was how Motorola, now bankrupt, was dominating the world. It was how GM bankrupt. Uh, Chrysler, Ford almost bankrupt, and all the other giants were going to dominate the future. First off, Ford is not almost bankrupt, okay? They're the only, they and Tesla are the only two auto manufacturers to never file for bankruptcy. Does Ford know they're not going to be manufacturing cars anymore? Yes. They know they're not going to be manufacturing cars. They're already doing the ramp down. They're going to manufacture trucks. Um, if you look, I, I just went to the Texas State Fair, and I walked through the Ford, the Ford booth, I think, um, or the Ford display, 
everything was truck. Everything. Last year or two years ago, it was not. It was 50-50 car truck. Ford literally decided we're only doing trucks. That's why they're highly focused on platinum, highly focused on uh, tremor. They're highly oh, the focused electric. on their electric offering. They, they, Ford knows they're only going to be making trucks. They know that. Decisions have been made. The board's already talked about it. Cars really are not. likes a Ford car? I mean, I mean the Mustang. Okay, the Mach-E. That's a G pretty... GM. GM knew that they they screwed the pooch, and that's why they got the Rivian partnership. Right? Do you really want to um, be driving a Taurus? G, G <laughs> I mean, no, no offense if you have a Taurus. <laughs> GE screwed themselves. You can thank Jeff Immelt for GE becoming the laughing stock of industry. Although there are areas of GE that have turned it around. Okay. Um, and uh, Chrysler, I mean, come on, you know, Chrysler gained some gained capital by um, outsourcing their supply chain in the late 70s and early 80s. And but they didn't change how the business fundamentally ran or the types of cars they made. Right. Um, what about Volkswagen? You but know, he said you said they're one of the top, right? They are. Volkswagen's in the top four of, of um, Volkswagen is the only company in the top 10 on the industry Ford Auto distribution. The only company in the top 10 that's a legacy manufacturer. Nine of the top 10 are all emergent companies that started after 2000. I watched a video the other day that said they have like 200 managers, like 200 middle managers. And like they sort of have like a still have a bureaucracy kind of environment. So. Um, all right. Hopefully that that little dissertation there, you know, this this right here, what he wrote in these two posts are. I I empathize with his frustration, right? I, I mean. I get it, all right? I, I empathize with his frustration. What he has to do, you know, it, it's like he has to come to the realization that you can't help people who can't help themselves. This is the famous, if people had, if Ford had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a motorized horse. You know, if yeah, this if guy you... asks his clients what they want, they will say the same old thing we've always done. Hey, you know, how, how many, anybody on here have a Tesla? Does anybody on the chat drive a Tesla. Here's a really interesting thing that I, I want to point out about Tesla. Okay. Tesla doesn't ask their drivers, you know, who they, um, you know, w what features they want in the car, right? They don't, they don't do that. If you sit, if you go sit in a model three, a model three has four buttons and a touchscreen. No, six buttons and a touchscreen. It's got two buttons on the steering wheel. It's got two above the console and two in the back to turn lights on. Your That's ass it. doesn't even have a gear shift. The car decides right. what gear it's Right. There's going. literally the, the interior of the cars are like a rocket ship. There's nothing in there. Okay. I mean, there's nothing. It's absolutely minimalist. Right? Absolutely minimalist. The car itself is all software. It's key telemetry, all software with the simple drivetrain, the simplest drivetrain in the world. No one else manufactures a car like that. Yet. I mean, why not? Why not? And someone, the answer is because they're asking consumers what they want. Didn't someone say like, oh, but what if like the battery dies and you can't open the door because it's electronic? Well, it's like if the battery dies, you got bigger problems with an electric vehicle, which by the way, they don't no, die. They, they're smart that, enough to not even get, let you do that. Your batteries are covered for 100,000 miles. They're, they're, you know, it's like you get like five warranties with a Tesla, eight, you know, eight years, whatever, 150,000, five years, this under certain stuff. But your batteries are covered under your warranty. By the time your batteries are ready to die, you're you're swapping your Tesla in for a new one. Um, all right. Let me go to our other questions. Hopefully that was a valuable dissertation uh, on the team. So I think uh, let's do Boon Tech here because he really rips me a good one here. <laughs> um <laughs> He yeah. said he's horrified. Yeah, he says he's horrified. All right. So uh, under the IIoT Unified Namespace Enterprise Example um, video, this guy, Boontech uh, Lee, uh, who I've seen him post uh, a bunch of comments, and I, I generally like them. But he says, I have three points to make. Uh, oh, actually, hold on a second before I answer this. Hi, Boontech. A I want to <laughs> respond to Ashok here. He said, for manufacturing subject matter experts who are, say, around 50 people of staff, who are part of a larger supply chain, what would be the motivation to adopt IOT? Leadership often does not see the ROI. All right, uh, two, two things. Um, number one, 
the biggest advantage of adopting IoT is enabling yourself to solve your own problems. Okay, I, I mean, this is we call this unlocking potential. We live in a world. I mean, how many people have a problem at home? Okay, legitimately. You look it up on YouTube. What? Right, where you you call somebody, or you get on a radio, or you call a, a repair person first. How many? No matter what problem it is, fucking water running all over the floor. What is the first thing every single person does? They Google, why is there water running on my floor? And then they see all the possible reasons why they might have water. That is called the the first step, right? The, The first step to solving any problem is trying to solve it yourself. How many organizations have the infrastructure to even start that process? Well, and I'd like the, to. The biggest advantage of IIoT for the internal user is enablement of being able to solve your own problems within also the supply, organization. Supply chain 4.0. You're not going to be selling to the companies of the future if you aren't creating a digital ecosystem that you can expose to your customers. And that's the business incentive, right? 100%. That's the business incentive. Um, but he's saying the people who are already a member of these groups, what's their incentive? Number one, it's enablement of, you know, enablement to solve their own problems. Now, if I'm 60 years old and I'm a couple of years from retirement, I don't give a shit about anybody but myself, then I don't care if the company's in business five years from now because nobody has a pension nowadays. So you, the, the, one of the biggest advantages of having a pension was that you were invested, at, even at the end of your career, to make sure they stay in business. Now there's no investment. You don't care because your 401k is tied up in the, in the stock market. That's why everyone's focused on you know, short-term returns, you know, quarter to quarter returns. But, you know, but young people, young people, here's the reason why IoT matters for like Gen X or uh, millennials and Gen Zs. They want to be part of something bigger. They don't want a job. They want $100,000 a year at least, and they want to change the world. Every single one of them. They, they all have delusions of grandeur. They all think, their parents literally told them, they're the most amazing person in the world and they can do anything, okay? And, you know, you're so smart and you're all this and we gave ribbons to everybody as they were growing up. Well, there are downsides to that. But one of the upsides of that, one of the upsides is they all think they're special <laughs> and they want to be a part of something special. And so they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And so, I like saving and creating middle-class jobs, just yeah, saying. saving and creating middle-class jobs. So their incentive for young folks, the incentive is... That, that could be my mission to help literally change a company, right? And, and, and if, you don't, if you think I'm wrong, you should sit in on my meetings. You want to know who the most engaged people are um, in the calls that we have talking with large manufacturers who want to transform? They're young people who want to change the world. People don't work at Tesla to work 100 hours a week. People work at Tesla to save the planet. Think about how ridiculous that sounds. That's true. To save the planet. People work at SpaceX to expand humanity into the solar system. Think about that. What do you do for a living? Um, well, I mean, I'm helping to take people to Mars. We're, we're revitalizing people manufacturing. People work at the boring company. Oh, yeah, we're putting roads underground. To, to, we're solving traffic jams. We're, literally, we're getting rid of traffic jams. All traffic jams are going to disappear forever i mean young people want to be part of something way bigger than themselves and that's how iiot is sold to gen z and millennials how do you sell it to the boardroom roi how do you sell it to the old person you don't okay unless and we meet a lot of these people the guy who's at the end of his career i got 25 30 years in i'm you know i've been shaking my head smh for the last 30 years on how we do things I'm going to go ahead and try to change this company in my last three years. And I'm going to throw caution to the wind and it doesn't matter if I get fired. We have a lot of those customers. We got a lot of points of contact like that who are like, Hey, I'm throwing, I'm going all in. Okay. All right. So let's talk about Boontech Lee. He says, I'm horrified that your example of the unified namespace is hardware centric instead of process centric. By this, I mean, you are retaining data from PLC MES ERP nodes 
etc. at their respective node tag in the UNS. In this way, you are just creating a central data hub, not a UNS. Okay, so <laughs> let me go ahead and correct him. He's partially right and partially wrong. He assumes because we're collecting PLC raw PLC events, edge events, in a PLC node, that is the only place that those events exist. They are always extracted in another place in the unified namespace that can go process-centric, always. Mm. And oftentimes, they are process-centric. Mm. So remember, just this is because- your object. This is your information modeling. Right. Just because the, the event originates in the PLC node doesn't mean that that's the only place that event exists in the unified namespace. So well, often is, you have you have PLC right. also also often you have PLCs that are sort of synonymous with that process. Oh, that's the that's the packaging PLC. That's the you know this Correct. particular part of the process PLC. Right. Here's the other reason you do that. Okay, that namespace, that PLC node namespace. There's context in there, just like you know Elon Musk says all cars are going to be electric and autonomous. Um, all hardware, all smart devices are going to inform you about the status of that node, the hardware itself, okay? So that means there has to be a place in the unified namespace that's just for the hardware. What he's talking about here is he's saying, oh, you have Edge, you have PLC, that's the only place those events live in the PLC node. No, they live in all the places that's applicable, okay? So I can easily take an event that's happening in a PLC and, and model it, if you look at HiByte, the way HiByte does data ops, they do that all the time. They pull it from a raw, a raw event, so it lives in the, raw, in the raw node, the PLC node, and then I move it into a you know, model data type and where the event, the event also lives, right? You do that in a unified namespace all the time. So right, he says, imagine if the PLC hardware is replaced by several IoT devices in the future. Then you'll have to restructure your namespace at the hub. No, you won't. What'll happen is the node for that PLC will just change. The old one will disappear, the new one will show up, and all you're doing is is remapping the the new tag from the new PLC to the new abstracted model or the, fact, the existing abstracted model. If you use Sparkplug, all you'd have to if you use Sparkplug, all you'd have to do is give it the same you know node then, group ID and node ID. It would you just give it the, group, the same, same group and node, and now it just plops in exactly. Um, and make corresponding changes at each and every client. So Boontech is correct here. If we were talking about OPC UA, you would have to do that. But because it's edge-driven, you don't. You can actually build self-aware applications. We talk about self-aware. Even you can build the abstracted levels of the unified namespace self-aware, edge-driven. So the entry point into the namespace for the raw event is that hardware node in some cases, software node in other cases. And I can build out the rest of my namespace self-aware based on the existence of a new hardware node. I can do that. And we do it all the time. So he is partially correct. He's missing a huge piece, though. This will defeat the purpose of using a UNS in the first place. Instead, if the structure is same data into hierarchy or process related UNS. Starting from the nodes in the enterprise level, followed respectively by blah, 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 blah. Then irrespective of your hardware replacement, the tags will remain unchanged. This should be the way to structure UNS. We do structure it that way. That's the exactly what we say. <laughs> the difference is, is they're next to each other. So you have raw edge namespace with raw PLC hardware node, and then you've got the ISA 95, or in this case, you know, ANSI S88, but he's really talking about ISA 95. If we're talking about S95 and ISA 95, same structure. They live alongside one another. That's what we're talking about. He's right, though. You mentioned that the data hub is a closed loop for the enterprise, enter, the entire enterprise's data. This is not so. Instead, it's a hub-and-spoke model where data is radiated to connected clients through a single layer rather than passing from one hierarchical layer to another. No, it's not, actually. So one of the things that's really important to note is that I actually had to explain this this morning. A unified namespace is not a place. It doesn't exist in a place. It is everywhere, and it knows everything. Okay? Also... He's correct in that nodes are interoperating through a hub and spoke. The difference is, is be, but hub and spoke connotes um, um, hub-based con connectivity and notification, okay? 
with a unified namespace that's based on PubSub broker technology, nodes in the unified namespace only subscribe to the data and information they care about. Okay? But they publish everything that they have to report in its entirety to a place. Okay? All right. Number three, you mentioned that at the data hub. It's not a data hub. It's a unified namespace. All PLC tags should be replicated into the UNS. This is not advisable in that now he loses me on the conversation because it is advisable. We do it all the time. We've built the largest systems in the world. This is not hard to do. Um, but let's see what he says. It'll only cause data overloading. It's not true. All, all PLC programmers know the PLC memory space is populated with at least two types of tags, the internal logic tags for internal operations and the process tags. Uh, what needs to be replicated at the data hub are the process tags, not the logic tags, big data, and AI should only act on process tags. Not true. All right. So the one of the roles of machine learning is to predict um, to predict failures in the logic in your PLC. Not that the logic is going to break, but when I run into issues in my PLC, where are the issues? What what component of the logic is causing the problem? Okay, no one does this analysis yet, right? What it, what does Elon Musk say in the earnings call um, uh, last week or whatever? One of the things he talks about is the importance of reducing data cycle times by moving data collection, or he doesn't say data collection. I don't remember what word he uses, but this is what he's saying: moving it closer to the um, the event on the floor, right? He talks about the need to collect data at like these super, super high-speed rates, okay? You know, one of the things that we have to do in order to speed up our ability to collect data faster is to optimize the way that we write PLC programs, right? Give the same functional specification to 10 different PLC programmers, you are going to get 10 completely different PLC programs that do exactly the same thing. Now they may mean they may meet the service level agreement for that functional specification. You may be able to get through functional acceptance testing and site acceptance testing on that code, but that doesn't mean that the way that you wrote your program, the way you wrote your program is optimal for high-speed data collection to pick up every single event as a function of your overall digital strategy. Okay. Go ahead, Zach. So like an example would be like an alarm, an alarm bit, right? him saying just transmit the alarm bit but you know you may want to you may want to you may want to transmit the accumulator too you can see that hey this is an alarm state it's the, the accumulator is counting up the counter then it's alarm yeah um uh first in first out arrays dot so dot, AC, arrays. dot acc if yeah. it's uh five, micrologic five arrays. Here, here's the other ones indirect tags so let's say i'm taking a input value so let's say i've got an input event from io and that data transitions as my logic is scanning that that one transition may pass through say four internal tags okay he's saying there's no point in collecting the data on those internal tags now if all i care about is supervisor control and data acquisition and manufacturing execution well then yeah you're probably right that's not all i care about care, I care about, about everything i care about optimizing my operations from top to bottom including the way we write programs mm -hmm. now Let's say I take the let's say I take the performance of two separate process controllers for identical processes written by two completely different controls engineers. Okay? Am I going to wait to correlate manually collected data on uptime of one process over another or performance over one process over another after I've collected 10 years of data at 60% fidelity? Or, what am, or am I going to plug that into an ecosystem where I can ask algorithms to monitor those two like models and tell me if can it predict any failure, the likely failure of one over the other? Okay, so yeah, it's fucking important. The five, <laughs> the five most, the five wealth, uh, most valuable companies on the planet are all in the data collection business, and they collect all data. Yeah, you don't think Amazon stores how long you you watched one particular item on their website? They absolutely do. Uh, what was exactly the, 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 not just that you clicked on it, but how long did you stay on it? I mean, all the algorithms do this. LinkedIn, you know, and, and Boone Tech would say, Boone Tech would say, the only thing that Amazon needs to care about is what did you, 
the two two data points. What, what did, did I, you buy? What did when? I look at? What did I look at? And what did I buy? And let's just correlate the two, right? No, Amazon Amazon makes decisions about whether they're going to stock things based on how long someone has looked at a potential product. How they, long does this person look at on to, on average before they make a purchase? That's correct. They they I, I remember uh, I was just here. I heard a story that's about a really this. good data point. And and by the way, that how long is an indirect tag. It, we monitor we monitor that. It's less than thirty days on average. Really? For a new a new member into our ecosystem, it can be as low as like six days. Someone signing up and then joining, yeah, it's pretty amazing. All right, let me go to this Tino, last one here. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm not at, very active here, but I wanted to share something with you and share knowledge. It is not MQTT Spark Plug B, unfortunately, yet, but it's still an OPC UA related question. At the company I work, we have an MES solution that's connected to Kep Server EX. This Kep Server EX is retrieving data from various OPC UA servers on machine PLCs. Don't do that. Mainly Siemens 1500s. The thing is, when we put a lot of load on one PLC, for example, when we're retrieving data packages for a quality conformity test, it all comes from the PLC in the same time. Yeah, that's because you're connected to the server. Rather than using the onboard OPC UA servers in the 1500, you should use Kep Server Siemens driver to pull the address space that you're looking for, as opposed to using using the OPC UA client in Cap Server to talk to the OPC server on a on a PLC. So despite it being configured on Cap Server as exception, the problem is that the communication load sometimes peaks to 50%, and the PLC cycle time goes rooftop and sometimes can even take down the Profinet network. We're still benchmarking the capabilities, and if we change some way, data modeling. One thing that we saw in UA Expert is that subscribing to the whole structure doesn't create a huge CPU load, but if we subscribe to individual tags inside that structure load, it's multiplied considerably. Yes, for two reasons. Number one, you never, you never ever, you're never actually subscribing to just one tag, number one. Everything's always returned in block for opti blocks for optimization, number one. Number two, um, view so if I subscribe to everything, I have, I have X overhead. If I subscribe to... 10 little things, I have 10x overhead. Uh, I have 10x overhead plus n. Okay, that's what I have. So yes, it, as you in as you subscribe to individual tags and address spaces, there is a finite amount of overhead that is that is multiplied across each of those uh, connections and requests. I'm using as a channel the OPC UA client and cap server. How can we set that on Kep Server to decrease the CPU load? Um, well, what I would do, it, well, I, I need more information from him on this, Zach. Uh, what I need to know is what percentage of the address space um, is he requesting? Mm. Okay. You know, are they pulling everything? Fifty percent, ten percent. It's in. It's in the questions. It's a members chat. Okay, got it. Um, all right. Any any other questions um, from the community? What percentage of the address space are you trying to pull? Right, hold on. We'll we'll go ahead and open up the chat for you guys. All right. Yep. Zach's so a couple people message me on Discord and they're like, "Oh, I should get a, a free membership." I'm like, "If I could." If I could somehow give grant you guys free access, if you're already part of our paying program, go I ahead would. and. Uh, All right. So now anyone, uh, anyone anybody can ask it. a question real quick before we drop. We just try to do that so we could stay focused and stay on topic. But yeah, it started to get the like the chat was just like flooded and it was hard for us to catch up. Mario Ishikawa, my dude. Oh, how's it going, Mason? Ugh. All right, members only mode is turned off, so anybody can ask a question. They did members only without my permission. Of course, no one asks me for my permission anymore. They just tell me what meaning to be at and when. Hey, Speaking gonna... of that, we've got a lot of IIoT vendors and um, companies that are like wanting consulting from you, like consulting time. 
to get your opinion on their product roadmap. Um, well, the worst the worst part is when they want my time and their product sucks. That's the worst <laughs> part. Like the when I have to tell them, yeah, you guys are. This isn't cool. Not cool at all. All right. What, uh, well, what preparation should yes, we make? Yes, good for question, Mason. Okay, great question. All right. For Friday. Thursday and Friday. Thursday and Friday. Um, you should uh, – I'm going to have a link for you guys to be able to download Factory Studio, so I'm going to download it offline and send you a link. That way you guys don't have to go through that whole process. So real quick, on Thursday when we're doing the Frameworks event, um, Mark Tacolini, who is the – he was a – guy who owned Indusoft and then created Tatsoft. And so he's the owner of Tatsoft. Um, and he's also the CTO. Um, they, uh, Mark is going to be doing a presentation in the beginning, going over key announcements on version 9.2, right? Which is the big version we've been waiting for. And that's what we're going to be doing. I'm going to have a link for you guys to be able to download factory studio on Thursday, the latest version. Um, so that you'll be able to play along on Friday. Um, Techie uh, Tesla. Yep. The, the, um, the other thing that you should do is you should go to Tatsoft's website. So two things you really should do. You should go to Tatsoft's website and read up on the 9.2 release. Okay. Get familiarized with the, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, documentation, how to access the documentation. Okay. And then number two, you should go to Opto 22's website and read up on the Groove Epic. Okay. Just, uh, go ahead and read their marketing documents. And then they've got uh, some great documentation on there about what the Groove Epic ships with. I'm already going to have the Groove Epic and the PLC next connected to the unified namespace in the cloud that you guys will be using. I'm going to disconnect them and reconnect them as part of the training to just show you how I'm doing it. Um, and anyone yeah. who's thinking about joining mastermind, this event, and you're not already a part of mastermind, this is a zero risk event to attend because you can use a hundred percent of what you pay in ticket price towards your mastermind membership down the road. If you want to, we're going to put some sort of time cap on that. But I imagine anyone who's like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about mastermind, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to commit to, you know, a full year. This event is definitely worth attending. And you can, you know, if you decide, Hey, I do want to join mastermind, you can, you know, you just pay the difference. So it's definitely an incredible offer. Take advantage of it. Let me, um, uh, let me we talk go about way it. deeper than our YouTube content. Obviously let's do Paulo's question. Can you talk about the OSI soft move to Aviva? And do you think we would need to buy more Aviva products to get it working? Um, okay. I think that Aviva buying OSI soft was a move to hide a loss of market share for Aviva. Very much in the same way that Rockwell's acquisition of Plex was designed to hide a loss of market share. And their partnership with PTC was to design was designed to energize shareholders because of loss of market share. Aviva's doing the same thing with OSI Soft. I do not think it's a good match, uh, Aviva and OSI Soft. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody on the OSI Soft thinks it's a good match. No one on the Aviva side thinks it's a good match. Um, I'd be curious what Jim Gavigan thinks. He's an OSI Soft kind of guy. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I haven't talked to Jim in forever. Um, do you think we need to buy more Aviva products to get it working? For in, in right now, you will, but uh, long term, what you're going to see is oh, um, specifically OSI Pi become part and Aviva, parcel of the Aviva, Aviva, OSI Aviva Pi. ecosystem. Yeah, Aviva Pi. I by the way, and let me say this about Aviva: I there's a lot of things Aviva's doing that I find quite interesting. I mean, and I and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think there's a lot of like smart people at Aviva. Who are trying to push the organization in the right direction and in some cases they win and in some cases they lose aviva is not the worst company on the planet okay they're and they're not i don't think that aviva is gonna die i think there are certain segments of their business that are that are already dead and some are dead men walking but there are other segments of the business that i think are really strong super viable especially on the 
analytics side. I wonder if that marketing gal still works there, the girl who didn't let me go to Aviva World Singapore. Oh, that marketing. <laughs> Remember when I got blackballed? I got like blackballed from from going there. Uh, Zach, you need to, this Alexander Berthel, please handle that. Okay. Got it. All right. we can... If there's no other questions, um, faint Alex, praise. send me a DM on, on Discord and I'll, oh, I'll reach faint, out to you. Faint praise on Aviva, Dan Reckon. <laughs> well, well done. Uh, all right, cool. All right, uh, guys. So we will see you guys on the Frameworks event Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Central Time. Looking forward to seeing you guys all there. Thanks for watching. Thank you guys for supporting the stream. Thank you to all the channel members. Remember to like, subscribe, and we'll see you guys next week.